All right, guys, we are back for another episode of Fredrickson Health Show. I am your host, Dr. Robert Fredrickson. Today, we have a very special guest. We have my friend and colleague, functional medicine consultant, Alex Tollington. Alex Tollington was a engineer before he got into the health and wellness space. His wife actually had some, some illnesses and she was find, trying to find answers. So with Alex's help, they really turned to more natural approaches to really help find supporting cures for her illness. And so Alex is very, very passionate, very knowledgeable. Um, one of the smartest guys I know, and you're gonna love his accent today. And um, he's, he's got a bee farm um, and he's really into just being creative. And so we're going to look at, this is kind of a different episode. We're going to be going back and forth, going over key botanicals that are used in research or emerging research for COVID-19. This isn't our research. We're actually going off the website from the International Functional Medicine Association or IFM. And so we'll be going back and forth. We're going to screen share this for anyone watching on YouTube. You'll be able to find that as well. But Alex, Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Dr. Robert. Yeah, um, yeah. A little bit about myself. I know. Um, I know Robert mentioned that I got into this uh, field almost by accident. You know, twelve years as an engineer, and and so my brain is very much programmed to dig and find problems, and then come up with solutions to problems. And um, my wife, at the end of 2014, after seeing various doctors in the area and we couldn't figure out what was going on. We ended up uh, luckily finding a functional doctor and, and digging into um, some of her issues and really finding out what was going on. But you know me, Robert, <laughs> my, my brain just keeps digging and digging and digging and digging. And um, eventually I found myself uh, working in this, in this new industry. Um, and now I spend a lot of time helping um, doctors um, with, with solutions and, and digging a little bit further. But yeah, I, I, um, I mean, we did actually find out eventually what was wrong with my wife, which was kind of interesting. And that was just a year ago. So 2014, that's, that's what, four years of digging to find. But we found it. Yes. Good. <laughs> it's been a long road, but you've learned a lot. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, been, it's been tough. but. Um, for, you, for anybody who's watching out there that is dealing with any health, chronic health conditions, just just know that you really you really can dig and um, keep searching and find new solutions. And um, I tell you, there's there's a lot of stuff out there. <laughs> is what I've learned. Um, but yeah, I mean, a couple of my hobbies on the side. Um, obviously, I love playing football or soccer, as you guys call it over here. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we do keep some beehives on the and and we have a garden and we're just very much into um uh we, we'd like to i think if we had been born in the 1800s we'd we'd been quite happy <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so that's yeah. awesome well man thanks so much for sharing that story and um this is this is gonna be fun so yeah um yeah i'm excited so i'm gonna go ahead and share my screen One second here. Okay, so we're just we're just gonna talk about things that you guys are already thinking about. And these are conversations that me and Alex mm -hmm. would have anyways. So we just decided to record this conversation. But anyone interested in these fields, just to learn about, and maybe 
you drive a lot for work and you don't have time to go to IFM's website to read this. All of the stuff you can find on ifm.org's website under the COVID-19 page. Now, anyone listening, COVID-19 is a, it's a new disease. It's rapidly getting researched, emerging. Everyone's waiting for the, for the vaccine to come, but frankly, we don't know if that's gonna be the answer. So what we do know is having a robust immune system is a great strategy to have, along with social distancing, along with all the other safety measures, wearing a mask, et cetera. But these are, these are some research botanicals that are being looked at extensively. Um, we all have heard of the cytokine storm, right, Alex? Yes. <laughs> yeah. so, so we're, we're still trying to figure it out, but <laughs> well, cytokine storm is, is um, research is showing it's, it's more of this inflammasome complex. Yeah. And the inflammasome is basically a cell signal uh, program, cell, cell signal death that is uncontrollable. Basically, it's a self-perpetuating cycle, which is releasing pro-inflammatory cytokines. Yep. So the question is, how do we stop this cascade or this, you know, this whirlwind of inflammatory, you know, cellular molecules going back and forth, you know, that are basically destroying tissue inside of our bodies? Like, how do we stop this from happening? Right. So there's a couple of different botanicals that are being studied extensively. And I'm going to let Alex uh, pronounce the first <laughs> one because his accent is so cool. Well, <laughs> well it's so many, it's so funny you say that, um, uh, Robert, because uh, a lot of, a lot of people I meet, they call it quercetin. <laughs> what, what do you call it? What do you, what do you call it, Alex? Uh, quercetin is, is how I pronounce it. Um, but yes, uh, going back to the inflammasome, um, um, activation, well, we, we know even in autoimmune disorders, this is an issue. It's, it's been, a, it's been a, um, a known issue for a while now. They always look like these big Ferris wheels that go off in the body, almost, almost like something mechanical that started spinning. <laughs> um, but very, very interesting to see that, um, you know, if we look at a lot of these comorbidities and, and um, uh, patients that really aren't doing very well when it comes to COVID-19, they, they, they generally have comorbidities and, and generally can't control this inflammasome response properly. It just keeps on spiraling out of control. Right. So very interesting, but and there's yeah. probably and there's probably a good point, Alex. There's probably no disease out there that I know of, maybe like a sodium disorder, that mm. isn't inflammatory in nature. Like all right. diseases are pretty much inflammatory in nature, and yeah. so there's got to be ways. You know, new re new research is coming out, but like, what do we do to mitigate the inflammation? And we know some inflammation in the acute phase is good, and we need that inflammation to heal, yeah. fight infection, et cetera. But chronic inflammation is what so many people deal with: the chronic pain. Um, the chronic inflammation we, f we see in auto autoimmune disorders. That's what we're trying to prevent or, yeah. su or support. So that's why you know, this research is so fascinating to me. You know, it'd be interesting to, um, to, I mean, it's not really in our scope right now, but it would be interesting to um, be able to measure the CRP on some of these people that don't respond so well and just see what is that overall inflammatory marker and where, where are they on that scale? Because my, my guess is, is that, you know, if, if we could pull down that CRP, we could, we could probably get some better results here. And um, I know that they, some of the doctors have been trying some immunologics, you know, to, to try and, which is basically what's used in rheumatoid, if I'm right. Is that, is yep. that? Yep. Yeah. Um, 
you know, my wife's got that and they tried to put her on one of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, but they've had, had some success with that. So, and it makes sense. Um, but quercetin, as we know, it, it does have some of those modulating properties with inflammasomes. I mean, I know, I know that I talk about it a lot as this mast cell stabilizer, you know, and I, I talk about it from the whole point of, you know, in, inhibiting calmodulin from pulling calcium into cells and, and stabilizing the mast cell. And, and from that point of view, but um, I think it's interesting that a lot of these botanicals, as, as you know, Robert, like they have a lot of these um, pleiotropic effects. Like they don't just do one thing; they're doing several things in the body. You know, I, I read an article that um, that showed um, uh, some flavonoids can potentially increase uh, zinc receptor sites. So, quercetin, yeah, quercetin is one yeah. of those. Yeah, yeah. So. Interesting. It's not just doing one thing, right? Right. And that, that's why that's where some of the benefit and the beauty of these botanicals, these naturally acting agents is, right? Because quercetin, as you just said, it's a mast cell stabilizer. New research is showing it's a zinc ion phoretic, actually increasing zinc intracellularly. So it's actually bringing zinc inside of the cell. And we all know that zinc can stop RNA replication. So it's like a yeah. Powerful one, two combo. And I think last time I heard it was like in phase two or phase three clinical trials. And they're definitely accelerating that to make it a pharmaceutical agent. But um, very, very fascinating. So yeah, I'm not going to steal your thunder with course and uh, keep, keep talking about it. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, um, that's, uh, that's interesting. So you, you said that they're looking at trying to synthesize it as a, as a potential drug. Yep. Um, yeah. So Rhonda Patrick, she's a PhD researcher. She talks extensively mm -hmm. about quercetin, you know, okay. basically inhibiting the NL, NLRP3 inflammasome, yep. you know, having it's, it's an amazing substance. And we know that it's been shown to lower uric acid in gout patients. It's used extensively in natural allergy remedies. Um, and it's good for histamine, right? So it's, it's right. got some amazing, amazing properties and it's a natural substance. I mean, um, go ahead and you can list off some of the, where you find quercetin. I mean, all the natural sources. Well, that you know of. I mean, yellow onions is, is one of the biggest. You, you can find, interestingly, you find some in red wine, but not enough for me to justify drinking enough of it, unfortunately. <laughs> the, the resveratrol though, right? But the resveratrol. I mean, I, I do get a good argument with my wife on that one. That's for sure. It's all about the pleiotropic effects, right? So we got the quercetin, we got the resveratrol, polyphenols. Yep. Um, and then obviously um, some teas, but um, inner white oak bark is one of the one of the highest concentrated forms. But in, interestingly enough, I, I don't know if you know where the where the name comes from in the Latin, Robert. Do you know that? So, no, say say that again. Where it comes from in the Latin? No. Where does it come from? Oak forest. Oak is, forest. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So, so it's like, huh? Okay, makes sense that it comes from inner white oak bark, then, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and I and I haven't researched this in a while, but white willow bark is used extensively for like an analgesic for pain. And so, uh, thanks. Yeah, and I used to I, I used to take that a long time ago, you know, for pain. But um, that's interesting. Yeah, because I always say oak trees, you know, onions. Apples, I know, have quercetin. Mm -hmm. I know the old adage, an apple a day keeps the doctor away because there's so many different biophenolic polyphenols in the apple itself. So, Right. 
But anyways, yeah, so quercetin, yeah, that's, that's kind of one of the main agents they're looking at for, for COVID-19 research right now. And it's a naturally occurring bioflavonoid, right? And that, and a lot of different yeah. sources. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add to quercetin, Alex? I don't know. I mean, it's just pretty cool raw material, right? I mean, I got stung by a bee the other day, Robert, and um, I just took a bunch of quercetin, like a bunch, like. How much? I probably shouldn't say how much on here, but <laughs> I mean about four grams probably. Four grams. Yeah, like like that much in one go, and um, it had a, a a really really good effect on the bee sting. Like normally I swell up, and the more I look after bee. Well, that's a histamine response, right? Bee stings are histamine related, yep. right? So that makes perfect sense. Yeah, but makes me wonder where I got an allergy the way I flare up. But anyway, um, I, yeah, took a bunch of quercetin and everything was fine. And then I forgot to take my second dose after three hours and it all swelled up. <laughs> so, so, you know, I thought I was doing well. And then, and then three hours later, I, I, I probably should have taken another four grams. That's what I should have done. But right. I, and I guess for anyone who's not too familiar <laughs> with quercetin, it, it, so it doesn't stay in your system that long, right? It's got a short absorption right. profile. But yep. once it gets in your plasma at an you know, acceptable level, it stays there for a while. So you have to sometimes do loading doses with quercetin. Some people add bromelain with it. Um, but it's an amazing, amazing compound. And, and I've always done self-experiments on myself. And sometimes when I drink wine that sometimes contains sulfites, um, I'll get like the histamine response, right? You'll yep. kind of feel like tightness in the chest. And, and I've taken you know, a quercetin-related product. And I'm not advising anyone to do this, right? Don't do this at home. <laughs> it's just for information purposes only, but uh, I've taken quercetin before I go out to drink wine and it has a dramatic effect. Like I don't feel yeah. like uh, the tightness around my chest. I don't feel those histamine, you know, vasoconstriction type effects that you typically would feel or I would feel before. So maybe that's just, um, just in minus one, maybe it's placebo, but that's what I felt when I, when I experimented with the quercetin. Yeah. Okay. All right, so quercetin, number one. All right, let's go to curcumin. I'm going to let you tackle yeah. this one. Well, this is, this is probably one of the most talked about raw materials, I think, in functional medicine, um, just because it has so many different effects, um, so many, works on so many different pathways. I do remember when COVID-19 first came out that I had several practitioners, though, come up to me and and cite a um, uh, research report in the Lancet that was looking at NSAIDs. Okay. And NSAIDs potentially, um, uh, uh, I, I can't remember how it was, the, the exact action now. It was, oh, it, was the ACE, it was the ACE2 receptor, I believe. That, that was it. Angiotensin 2. 2. Was it? Yeah. yeah, and they were saying NSAIDs. No, everyone was freaking out. We, we had no idea back yeah. then. It was like... Oh my gosh. And I think they dis disproved that theory or that research. But anyways, everyone's like, don't take aspirin or yeah. NSAIDs or, you know, I remember that. And so everyone's that, I remember yep. a lot of clinicians were asking me, what should we do about this? And I was like, well, there's nature's inset, of course, which is curcumin or turmeric. Exactly. Right? Which so. is, which is, you know, it's not, it's not working on Cox one, Cox two. It's, it's working a lot further up the line. And so, yeah, okay, it's not going to have the the uh, direct effect of an NSAID of, hey, let's shut it, shut off the um, inflammatory process, shut down pain. Um, but, 
you take enough of it, 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 it does. <laughs> and that's my experience with it as well. I, I don't know whether I, I remember actually playing a soccer match with you <laughs> a long time ago <laughs> and uh, damaging my uh, damaging my leg and, and using a lot of uh, uh, curcumin back then to, to pull down the inflammation. It's kind of an interesting interesting watching it work so quickly but um i think uh from what i've from what i've seen it it all boils back down in covid to this um inflammasome activation again actually it was really interesting i it, can you see that on the on the website it's it has the little numbers there for the references the research references yes yep so research reference number five um comes up on a lot of these um botanicals it's just really interesting they're, they're, and they all all point back to this um this one report but basically uh, that report looks at like cumin quercetin modin sulfurophane resveratrol um i mean some of these we're going to go through here in a minute but interesting that a lot of these botanicals have this anti-inflammatory effect um and i don't know about you robert but I don't see people eating these raw materials in their diets anymore like they used to. No. And then we wonder why we're getting all these issues. Right. So, yeah. There's an interesting study. It was an epidemiological study in India. And basically, yeah. um, this is a study I reference a lot is like, hey, the population of India, like especially in the less urbanized, you know, regions, like um, the more on the outskirts, I guess, they have one of the lowest incidence of gastric cancer. And so really you know it's concluded right that they do eat a lot of turmeric and curcumin in their diets it's one of their staple spices or herbs or seasonings and you know a lot of researchers say hey well maybe because it's so anti-inflammatory it's having that effect obviously we can't conclude that but it can be hypothesized that that's one of the main mechanisms of its anti-inflammatory benefit and we know it's been studied extensively you know they're they actually use another part not curcumin they actually use a another part of the tumor group, B-alamine, you know, in cancer and pharmaceutical, yeah. pharmacocologics. So it's just, it's an amazing compound. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of marketing out there for products, you know, better absorption, better absorption. But I think some of the new research that we look at is kind of that whole root complex, you know, not just discarding, you know, all the turmeric extract and only leaving curcumin, but actually leaving it all as a whole in standard standardized portions is kind of like, the next the next new wave of the turmeric curcumin wave if you will so yeah yeah it's an amazing compound i i this is definitely one of my foundational products if you will i take usually one or two capsules every single day of my uh, curcumin turmeric product but um it's an amazing anti-inflammatory if i have a migraine if i have any kind of significant pain that won't go away i'll definitely take more curcumin and uh, I think it's more faster acting than like a fish oil. You know, I used to take fish oil for inflammation, but it didn't work for me like it's more yeah. as fast acutely. But curcumin de definitely has more of that acute phase or more faster acute phase type reaction. Yeah. She, you know, you know, makes sense really when you look at how it's working. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right, let's go on. People shouldn't take fish oils. I'm a big fan of fish oils. No, 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 no. no I still take. No, I'm sorry. I, I still take fish oil. You know, I just took. I took. Um, I took about three capsules this morning, but I, I just don't notice the pain effect with the fish oil sure. as fast as I do a curcumin. I'm not saying anyone don't 
not take the fish oil. We know it <laughs> for cardiovascular benefits, you know, healthy lipid levels, yeah. healthy omega-3 to omega-6 ratios, et cetera. So yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm saying more for acute or acute type pain, acute inflammation. Curcumin is something to be looked at. Curcumin and turmeric. Okay, let's go to um, green tea extract. You already mentioned this a little bit in the beginning, but yeah. uh, this one's being studied extensively for its potent inflammasome modulating effects. So anyone listening to that, it's, you know, basically it's stopping the inflammasome cascade. Quercetin they think is the most potent, but then also curcumin and green tea extract. So go ahead and Alex and share your thoughts with this one. Um, again, I mean, it's, and you've pretty much said it all there, there Robert. Um, it's, it's looking at that inflammasome activation again, and working from that point of view. Obviously, this is just a, a, a very healthy raw material to, to be consuming anyway, um, because it's got some NRF2 properties as well. So you're pulling down, uh, it, I like to think about that as like pulling as as much as other things it's really pulling down inflammation in the long run as well shifting somebody to a more healthy state especially let's talk about that let's talk about nrf2 a little bit for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is um so so and and this is where probably you as the doctor would probably, probably explain it a little bit better than me but um i i just like to think about it in terms of um activating that that pathway from from a genetic point of view to shift someone into a less inflammatory state and that's kind of my small way of talking about it to to your average person that i see off the off the street or i i speak to about it and and a lot of these raw materials when they're modulating nf kappa b they're, they're actually modulating nrf2 at the same time right it's, and there's a lot of overlap there for sure yeah absolutely and it and it it, it all boils back to the whole thing i i said to you before we're not eating the right foods <laughs> as a as a nation we're not consuming the right raw materials and this this would just be a great one for somebody just to add into their general everyday diet um to shift themselves into a less inflamed state in the long term and and less likely to develop things like i mean i can't say it as a claim and say that this would actually definitely happen but what we do know is when you activate those pathways, you are less likely to develop things like cancer and things like that. I mean, right. That's, and that's been studied extensively. So, yeah. so, so why wouldn't you take some of these things and, and back it, like I, I joked with you at the start of this webinar that, um, uh, you know, my wife and I should have been born in the 1800s, but the reality is if, if we were living off the land, we would be consuming a lot of these, um, phytonutrients and we'd be taking him now it wouldn't be green tea robert because of where i live um but it'd be other phytonutrients that have very similar effects you know it just so happens that ecgc is a very potent um and well-studied raw material so right and, and i'll kind of chime in um i from my understanding nrf2 is antioxidants they kind of have some crossover for inflammation and this isn't my term but dr shilpa saxena she is um been known to say like, Hey, like the difference in inflammation and oxidative damage is when you have a house that's on fire, mm -hmm. that fire is inflammation, right? But it's not the fire that kills you. If you got out of the house, it's when you go back into that house, what kills you? It's all the smoke. So the smoke can be, you know, kind of like the oxidative damage 
that keeps self-perpetuating, keeps, you know, slowly infiltrating, causing its inflammatory effects as well. So it's kind of, they both have some crossover there, but inflammation and uh, to be simple, it's more inflammation, inflammation is kind of the acute phase. And then the oxidative damage is kind of like the chronic phase, more like that lingering type inflammation. So mm. if that makes sense, but anyways, yeah, they're recommending for EC, EGCG, they're recommending four cups daily. That's a, a that, that that's a hefty amount, right? So it's a lot. Yeah, and, and I think something to be said, like th- these are the botanicals that are being researched by FM. But of course, we can't neglect a healthy, healthy diet, exercise, the staples, right? Getting your metabolic mm-hmm. health in order, of course. Yep. So, yeah. So the next one here, NAC, is is actually my personal although it although it says the strength of evidence is limited brother <laughs> from my my personal view i think it's probably one of the most important because i think about the role of uh, glutathione in the body as you know this master antioxidant and this is your major precursor to that um so why wouldn't you take this right now? <laughs> I can tell you that personally, I'm on 600 milligrams a day, every single day I've been taking. And since I've been doing that, I not only have I been feeling great as well, um, but what I do know is that, you know, I'm, I'm, my body's generating a lot more glutathione and, and you know, we want, we want to develop a healthy immune response is the whole idea of this. This is not, this, this raw material is not about what do I do not to get this? This is about what can I do to develop a healthy immune response if I get it, essentially. Right. I like that. You could argue that NAC in some ways could help you be less likely to get it as well because it obviously increases mucus production. So, um, or thinning of mucus really. Um, So, if you think about it from the whole point of view of all your secretory IgA and your mucous membranes, then potentially having quicker turnover might be, might be better. I, but I don't think there's any evidence that I've come across that could, could say that unless you've read something that I haven't. I, no, I mean, when I think of NAC, I always, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of medical providers and the your ER doctors, they know about NAC from acetaminophen. Mm-hmm. Um, over, overexposure because they actually use this ingredient to help with that acetaminophen um, yeah. detoxifying. So it's an glutathione is you know the master probably detoxifier, but NAC is a precursor to that. And I think when we, me and you spoke about it, you're like, hey, I think NAC, you know, it's definitely helps boost glutathione. You said maybe more than some glutathione out there. Is that accurate or what you're thinking? <laughs> that's that's just my my personal personal view on it. I mean. I mean, we now, what we know that glutathione can be absorbed. We, I mean, obviously, obviously you can get these liposomal types of glutathione and then you question stability. You have to have an extremely robust process to make sure that it's not oxidized, which is very hard to guarantee. Um, obviously, you could do IV with glutathione, but then you've got to be very careful. And the, the medical professionals that I speak to that do that, so you've got to be extremely careful on how you do that with the push. And obviously, I'm not telling anybody to go do that. You know, speak to somebody who knows how to do that if you're going to go do that. Um, but NAC is just one of those great more materials that you can consume daily. And you know that you're giving one of those three peptides 
that the body needs to to make um, glutathione and and tends to be seen that's the lacking peptide for production of glutathione in the body. So why not feed the body a little more cysteine and exactly why not you give your body what it needs. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and read this study right here. So sure. the study for NAC. So they show right here. In a six-month controlled clinical study involving 262 primarily elderly subjects, those receiving 600 milligrams of NAC twice daily, as those opposed to those receiving placebo, experienced significantly fewer influenza-like episodes in days of bed confinement. So there you go, right there, NAC. All right. We've got a lot of these, so let's go through these. So resveratrol. We just talked about this a little bit, but um, you, you wouldn't yeah. think of yeah, you would last rhyme right now, right? We might as well. Uh, you wouldn't think of resveratrol as an immune product. At least I wouldn't until I started really like diving into this research. Okay, so resveratrol has we all know it's anti-aging benefits. It's sirtuin-like <laughs> properties. Um, we know yep. David, Dr. David Sinclair's work with resveratrol. He's he's all into resveratrol for being an anti-aging molecule. That's a great yeah. podcast, by the way, with Joe Rogan. But um, okay. basically, yeah, so it's stopping the inflammasome complex. It's stopping that perpetuating uh, cell cycle death, right? So, which is releasing pro-inflammatory cytokines, which eventually could lead to tissue damage. So, yep. yeah, resveratrol. Wow, so they're lo looking at 100 to 150 milligrams. Um, they're looking Quite at- low, actually. Yeah, I would, they're actually, I'd probably recommend a little bit more, right? But- um, Yeah, I would. And if you, if you look at some of the studies where they're using resveratrol for, uh, for mental health and um, because there's some Alzheimer's studies now that have come out with, and I believe, I believe the dosing is upwards of like 500 milligrams and then they're dosing it like um, BID. Wow. Yeah. I know Dr. Sinclair does a higher dose for resveratrol. It's kind of hard to find though in a supplement form is that high. <clears throat> I could you just those a red wine, Robert. <laughs> Well, what about the French paradox though, right? We know that they're, they're only getting a small amount of resveratrol, but yet they're living longer, healthier lives, right? So some, something's got to be said for these. Interesting, yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Um, and then, so next we got vitamin D. Um, Which we all know we need, right? Everybody wow. Vitamin D. Well, not where you are in Texas, but where I am in Indiana. <laughs> I think even you are in Texas, right? A lot of people deficient. So yeah, I talk to doctors all the time and, and I always ask them this question and say, Hey doctor, when you are testing your patient's vitamin D levels, like have you ever had a patient in like the optimal range? Like in like what they will typically is anywhere from 40 to 80. So a lot of doctors say above 50. They say I've, one doctor I, I spoke with, she said, I've only had one patient, Robert, who had a, you know, a vitamin D of like 60 and who never took a vitamin D supplement, but he was a rancher from West Texas. His perfect, you know, body weight yeah. BMI, out in the sun all the time. But she's like, normally I don't see anyone with levels, you know, above 50, unless they're supplementing. Of course there's outliers with anything, but yep. um, there was, there was a study that just came out today or yesterday. Did you see it? It's, it's all over. It was um, a study done in Spain and they gave vitamin D in the hospital, like hefty doses. I think it was like 20,000 to 30,000. And, and it basically, you know, pretty much stop COVID with these patients. Really? Yeah. And it's circulating the internet right now. You know, a lot of people are sharing it. I shared it in my, on my page, but it, it's very, very interesting. 
doesn't surprise me. I mean, you look to that, that mortality study where they looked at vitamin D levels in terms of um, um, and mortality rates with COVID. And there was a direct correlation between the two, which I thought was interesting that basically if, you, if your levels were below 11, um, you, <laughs> you, it was very hard to develop a healthy immune response. And, below 11? Yeah, I know. That's crazy. Yeah. So anyone listening? Yeah, but but here in Indiana, Robert, the amount of time that I talk to people and they say, "Yeah, I checked the patient's vitamin D levels and they were eight or nine. I mean, like single digits. I mean, that that's it's a little scary. But then I think about myself as an engineer. You know, before I came into this field and before my wife's health fell apart, I I had heard about vitamin D, but I really didn't know what it could do. And when I f first took it that first year of, of discovering it and realizing what it does, I can tell you, I didn't get sick. So one of the first winters I've ever gone through where I, I also got through to uh, January, February time and, and didn't feel depressed. And, and I thought I was amazing because up here in Indiana, we don't get much sunlight, but um, in the UK it's even worse, but um, yeah, it's, this is, this this is not talked about enough. I, I know we talk about it a lot, don't we? But yep. it really talks about all the time. Right. I, yeah, this is not the time to figure out if you have a low vitamin D status. There's so many doctors you can go to right now and get your vitamin D checked. Um, yep. And I, and I checked mine just um, about a month ago. I did at-home at lab testing. You know, I did a fingerprint yep. test. And I was, I was right at 50, okay? But I supplement daily. Sometimes yeah. if I'm feeling ill, I'll even do a higher, more aggressive dose of vitamin D 50,000, right? And my levels are still low and I'm out in the sun a lot down here in Texas. You do, and um, You do 50? My, so my, level, my levels were at 50 and I, sometimes I do supplement with vitamin D uh, 50,000, especially if I'm going on a, yeah. I'm going to the airport or if I'm going on a trip, if I'm going on an overnight. So I'll actually temporarily dose, and I say this temporarily because this is, Obviously, vitamin D, as we know, is fat soluble, so you, you can potentially come, become toxic with too much. Um, but in a case where I get a bad cold or something like that, I temporarily dose to 100,000 for two to three days. Um, do, you, uh, do you take any vitamin K2 with that, or do you? Um, no, not really. No. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do a standard every single day. You know, when I'm taking D on a daily basis, I take K2 with it. But in those acute situations, I'm just trying to trying to get my D levels as high as possible. Right. Possible. Exactly. Yeah, Rhonda Patrick, she's she's got a wealth of information on vitamin D levels, mm -hmm. and everyone's concerned about hyper, you know, calcemias, et cetera. But she's like, mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot to actually get to that point. So yep. it, it can happen, of course. I'll always ask your doctor before trying a dietary supplement. Yep. Yeah. Um, vitamin D, yeah. The re so yeah, IFM is recommending or suggesting everyone have levels between 50 and 80 right now, and it can help mitigate morbidity from COVID-19 infection. They're saying everyone, um, in light of if you've been tested or not, to at least get 5,000 IUs in the absence of ser uh, serum levels. And so, yeah, so that's, it's, yeah, it's, I, I'm real big in vitamin D. I think it's the one thing we should definitely get checked if you're going to the doctor for your physical say hey give my vitamin d check sometimes it's not on the standard blood panel which is unfortunate but hopefully through enough research and be. yeah hopefully, hopefully we can change vitamin. that <laughs> also yeah vitamin, if you're low in vitamin d like you're not going to have the genetic um expression for occluding in the gut 
which, you know, we all know what happens. If that happens, you get zonion release, you get more permeability issues. So mm -hmm. we need this, this is the time when ever to get the vitamin D in checked, to get the blood sugar in check, right? So these are some definitely some markers to be looking at. And vitamin D is very, very affordable. But uh, do you ever reference the study with the um, New York Attorney General where basically like they pulled like 32 different vitamin D brands off the shelf mm -hmm. of, like, of like known like retailers like Walgreens, CVS. Oh, yeah. What they found was pretty disturbing. Only four out of 32 actually like met label claim for having the amount of vitamin D that they said. So it's, it's always good to find a good reputable brand for your supplements or nutraceuticals. And um, yeah. yeah. So we're cool. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot. yeah. We're not going to bore everyone with vitamin D. Everyone knows about vitamin D or they should be, yeah. should know about it. So <laughs> let, let's go to melatonin. Um, I did hear a lot about melatonin initially with um, the research, right? And then everyone's like, melatonin, right? That's, that's what I get to my kids when they won't go to bed. So, right. uh, <laughs> so, so melatonin is um, having inhibitory effects on the NLRP3 inflammasome. It's, um, yeah, it's basically it's the natural anti-inflammatory that our body is supposed to produce, but with all the blue light exposures, the mm. late night, you know, binge watching of Netflix, we sometimes shut off melatonin production naturally. So we need to supplement and um, they're recommending five to 20 milligrams. That's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot, right? And so Seems like a lot to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually haven't taken melatonin um, um, as a tablet, right? Uh, sublingually, I've, I've been doing that myself. And um, I, I do more for sleep. If I, you know, I've always done if I'm traveling and my schedule's off from going from a different time zone or if I had too much stimulation during the day and I can't go to sleep, melatonin definitely helps me. But um, what are your thoughts on melatonin, Alex? Well, it's fantastic for time zone hopping. <laughs> That's, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, dose, dose it up and trick your body, basically. But there are actually some practitioners that, that use high doses of melatonin as standard in their practice with things like autoimmunity, I remember now. I don't know much about the theory behind that. I know a little more. I've I, I just um, met a few doctors that um, know of their their fellow colleagues that, that do that. Um, I've also heard that a lot of patients struggle to stay awake when they're on those protocols, which I think is quite funny. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't, like you, I haven't heard any more research since maybe April time, something like that. I mean, I remember something coming out then, um, but I really haven't seen any more with melatonin since then. Um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, because when, when COVID first happened in March, April, like no one knew what, what to do, right? They were just, they were just throwing out things, but melatonin was definitely one of those for modulation of the inflammasome complex. But now they're looking at more of the haze, more of the, the quercetins and the resveratrols, you know, those that mm -hmm. are having more, have, more potent, I guess, but I just haven't heard of it as much, but yeah, melatonin is definitely a natural anti-inflammatory that you can take for that self-perpetuating, um, Inflammasome. I get, and I guess people are gonna say, "Well, I don't have the inflammasome activated. I feel fine." It's, it's all about just mitigating inflammation you have. You know, if you have a a good CRP, if you have a good omega three to omega six ratio, right. you know, it's it's always good to just keep these things in check because you never know if something does happen, and you want to be prepared for if it does. So, yep. all right, yep. let's um 
That's vitamin A. Yeah, you, you go ahead and leave this. Oh on. my gosh! The, so, so what a lot of people don't realize is that these deficiencies are, are normally as high as vitamin D deficiencies, but really? yeah, it's often overlooked. So, really interesting. But again, important for developing a healthy immune response. But mo I think one of the most important things here is uh, secretory IgA. Um, and Talk about that a little bit, Alex, for anyone listening. What's that? Talk about a SIG A or SIG, SIG A. So secretory IgA, I like to think about that as our first line of defense, essentially. Um, but it's basically an immunoglobulin that your your um, uh, uh, cells in your uh, mucous membranes produce, essentially. Um, and in the case of um, a virus, latch onto that virus and, and flush it out of the system before it even gets into the immune system. So what, what a lot of people don't think about when it comes to um, contracting a, a, a virus, so to speak, is the body's got its first line of defense right there. It, it, it knows what to do. It's only really if it gets through that first line of defense that then you start activating the immune response. And that's why we start seeing a lot of these like issues in people's guts with leaky guts because all of a sudden there's secretory IgA and you can actually do this on a stool test. You can test somebody's secretory IgA and see where they're at. But often you'll find that those, those patients, they have low secretory IgA, they have that first, they have that low first defense available Plus, they then their their cells are, are basically have a resonium response, so they're they're passed away. It's a little bit like putting holes in a hose pipe, so to speak. So things can literally get through. So, so it's like a, a double bubble response, really, with those patients. I feel I feel really bad for them because I, I know my wife's been through that, so I know what it's like, and it's right. hard to turn off that inflammatory process and heal up those those gut linings. But yeah. anyway, boiling it down, vitamin A is one of those, those raw materials that is really going to help with secretory IgA production um, and, and making sure that we, we develop a, a good, good barrier response. <laughs> nice. Well, won't even get in, right? right. Listen, so we'll talk about the different forms of vitamin A real quick for anyone listening. There's a lot of different thoughts to be said on that. Oh my gosh, now you're challenging me. Um, what, beta carotene and um, palmitate? Is it palmitate? Palmitate? Um, it's, it's been a while, Robert. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I was asking you because I'm not really too familiar either, but um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, anyways, vitamin A, it's, you know, it's, it's a, crucial, a crucial vitamin. Um, they're suggesting up a very, very, well, you'd think it's a high dose, but 10,000 to 25,000 I use daily. So that's a pretty big dose. There are some products out there that have a hefty dose of vitamin A. There's one I take extensively for restoring the membranes, right? So it could be membranes in the gut. It could be membranes in the mucous cavities. We know that once those mucous cavities break down, they become more keratinous. They get holes, like you just said, and they start to become leaky that's where infections can come in and wreak more havoc so vitamin a is definitely critical during the cold and flu season but also during this season that we're in so let's talk about elderberry elderberry is um golly i remember talking non-stop with practitioners about the 
cytokine storm induction with elderberry. And that has kind of been disproven. They actually say that right here on the screen um, because there was elderberry works through hormesis, right? It stimulates a slight immune response to get your immune cells, CD4, CD8 activated, right? To get them mounted for an attack. And, um, but just for a frame of reference, there's a very, very small amount of cytokines that do get initiated from elderberry. And depending on respect and perspective is when you run a marathon, you release hundreds, hundreds of cytokines, right? So, yeah. Sorry, elderberry, yeah, elderberry is very, um, <laughs> very good for viral replication. It's, uh, they're saying right here is right here in quotes, leading some to caution that use of elderberry can cause a cytokine storm. However, the data was not confirmed when the same group performed similar studies, which were published later in 2002. Therefore, those data suggest it is highly implausible that consumption of properly prepared elderberry products from berries or flowers would contribute to an adverse outcome related to overproduction of cytokines or lead to an ad adverse response in someone affected with COVID-19. Yeah, I was like, everyone's talking about elderberry, but then they're not taking it. And I was, I was still taking it. I was like, I'm, I don't care what, you know, what bloggers <laughs> say. I'm taking elderberry. I'm using a trusted source like IFM, you know, to find my data from. But um, yeah, this, this, this is one of my go-tos, elderberry. If I'm sick, cold or flu, you know, whatever, I'm taking some elderberry. So what are your thoughts, Alex? Anything else you want to add to that? No, I think that's, I think that's great. I, I'm totally on the same page with you there. Um, for, for a while, I was a little concerned when some of these – cytokine storm claims came out and then and then uh, the more i dug into it the more i realized yeah this 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 really isn't an issue yeah it was like the inset like insets and elderberry like you're like uh oh we can't do this can't do that yeah 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 i had I, I i chat with a lot of people and they were they were questioning should i be taking turmeric anymore it's like absolutely it's, it's fantastic <laughs> elderberry fantastic you know carry on carry on so what do you know about PEA then? Because I, I tell you what, I mean, it says here interfaces with the endocannabinoid system. So obviously we know that that's really important. And um, obviously we've learned a lot. For pain, stuff. for pain, right? Inhibition yeah, of TNF alpha, yeah. NF kappa B, even some mast cell stabilization. Yep. You know, I've, I've never, I've never taken PEA personally. I would like to, you know, based on some of the research for pain to see kind of how it works. Um, I've, I have some clinicians who, who use it in the practice and they see good results with it. Um, do you know where it comes from? I do not know where it comes from. I, I would think it's <laughs> a question. Maybe it's, um, Okay, maybe well, uh, CBD, maybe in some some sense or fashion, since it's go going on the same receptor site. But yeah. good question. We'll link it. All, we'll f figure it out after this. Uh, after the show today, we'll link it in the uh, show notes. <laughs> all right. Since we don't know too much about PEA, but we know it's good for pain, they're recommending <laughs> it. You know, three hundred milligrams uh, to prevent infection. Six hundred milligrams um, TID for two weeks to treat infection. Okay, I guess for mm -hmm. that's the pain aspect for natural pain modulation okay we yeah we wouldn't be doing a service or a good service to everyone listening if we didn't mention vitamin c for immune function everyone knows this already i think but um let's let's dive into it a little bit more alex so go ahead well 
we obviously need vitamin C to, to um, develop a healthy immune response. It all boils back. The immune, fun the immune system doesn't work properly without vitamin C. Um, just as you can't produce healthy collagen without vitamin C. It's, it's important for a, a lot of different functions in the body. Um, unfortunately, it's one of those um, raw materials that, again, we don't really see a lot of in our diets anymore. Um, well, and we don't produce it like animals do, right? So that's another thing. Is right, which is interesting. Interesting. You know, that's why a lot of like studies that um, that like we look at um, look at guinea pigs because it's about like the only other thing that doesn't produce vitamin C. Like your dog, my dog never gets sick because it produces vitamin C. You know, my your goat never gets sick because it produces its own vitamin C. Um, interesting that they put one to three grams, uh, QD, POQD. Okay. Yeah. Cause some of the uh, experts that I've listened to on vitamin C have suggested three grams a day for everybody. Right. You know, all in once, all in once, Alex, or uh, dose? Split up, yeah. So that you, but you just get three grams in throughout the day. Um, apparently Goats, I believe, produce up to five grams a day or something like that. Really? That's a fun fact. Don't quote me on that, please. But oh, we're quoting for sure. Oh my gosh. Don't quote me <laughs> on that. I just I just remember listening to it to a webinar on, on, on an expert on vitamin C and, and I, I just thought it was it was fascinating. Um, but that's that was her theory on high dosing of vitamin C was was comparing it to goats. <laughs> Which okay sense in a lot of in a lot of ways I, I i i can't remember what the rda is for vitamin c but i i just know when you look at the rda on a lot of these well did you know that rda is just the minimum amount everyone thinks it's the max amount but it's actually the minimum amount of what you need right yeah. and, we, and well, then we also know that those numbers are baseline numbers anyways they're not male they're not gender specific they're not specific to males or females we know if you're a male have a higher body weight you're gonna need a lot more and we also know you're gonna need a lot more than the RDAs because the research is always emerging. Like I think the vitamin D status is probably gonna is probably gonna raise after all of this, or it should, in my opinion. So the, the RDA on it, get this, ninety milligrams. <laughs> well, see, that's that's to pre prevent scurvy. That's to prevent scurvy, right? So it's. I know, but I, I I wonder what the IOMs. So the Institute of Medicine has these like upper limits, but again, I, I think a lot of these things. You know, so I, IOM is looking at 105 milligrams a day, but it just when you look at when you look at nature and what the what animals naturally produce, it, it just doesn't seem enough. It doesn't seem enough. And yeah, it's interesting that you look on the IFM's website here, and I mean, yeah. it's twice a day. That's six grams they're saying take basically. Right, spread out doses. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I've been doing that since I was in high school. You know, mm -hmm. anytime I felt sick, high dose vitamin C. Yep. Spread out throughout the day. And it's tried and true, right? Okay. Zinc. Yep. Oh man, zinc is amazing. It's it's stopping the RNA replication. It's the yep. problem with some some of the zincs out there is they don't get into the cell. So they're using ionophores like quercetin to yep. actually get inside the cell. And if we want to talk about the RDA, the RDA for zinc is very, very low. And they're recommending, look at this. 30 to 60 milligrams daily in divided doses. Okay. So the, that's a pretty hefty dose of zinc. And we know yeah. that zinc and copper have an inverse relationship. A lot of people have copper pipes. 
So they're already, you know, setting themselves up for a zinc deficiency. Mm. Uh, we know zinc. Go ahead. Yeah, you can talk about zinc, but I, I love zinc. No, I, I love I love zinc too. I just I just kind of think with COVID how it basically gets into into the cell and then wants to replicate itself and make little copies of itself. It, it's kind of sounds really evil, really. It, it it grabs in through ACE2, gets in and and uses the cell against itself, really, against the body. And and I just think that's it's horrible, really, when you look at how it works. Well, that's what viruses do, right? That's what they do. Yeah, it's horrible. So they're self-serving, you know, organisms yeah. that don't care about you at all. They want the host site to be beneficial to them. But zinc, basically, zinc, what zinc does, it says, uh-uh, we ain't having that. Oh, yeah, yeah you're, not, exactly. you're not reproducing in my, in my playground, so zinc, <laughs> stops, zinc stops that whole uh, cascade. But um, yeah, really? zinc, yeah, zinc is flying off the shelves. I know doctors that there's a huge zinc shortage for a long time during um, the spring and for good reason, right? So yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so this kind of goes over the uh, evaluation criteria for some of these things we just mentioned. Uh, if it says conditional, you know, it's, you know, they're conflicting outcomes. If it says minimum, little risk of harm. And yeah, we saw um, lots of these are natural or natural botanicals that have been studied extensively and there's very, very low risk, but always ask your healthcare provider before starting a new supplement routine. And uh, we're just providing information. Anyone can find this information just like we did. You can go up to IFM's website and find all this information. This is only page one. And uh, there's actually a page two, which we can go over next time. But for time's sake, we are going to stop the share. And we're going to do a quick rapid fire with Alex. Something I like to do here. Oh, no. What does that involve? <laughs> we have to find out. Okay. Texas, you see. So I don't know what that involves. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're back. So, Alex, um, thanks so much for coming on today. I just want to do a few yep. questions with you. Yep. Um, what is your personal supplement routine right now? Wow. Okay. Are you ready for this? So, I take N-acetylcysteine in the morning, 600 milligrams. I take alpha-lipoic acid. I take um, acetylcarnitine. I take vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D. Um, right now, I'm actually on about 10,000 IU of D a day. Nice. Um, so basically, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that cocktail, <laughs> if you like, in the morning. And then in the evenings before I go to bed, I'm, I'm on a multivitamin. Um, um, I take... I actually, I actually take some uh, like an antiviral type product. So it's got like olive leaf um, extract in it. It's got arabaglactin and a few other things like that. Um, and the reason is, is um, my last job that I did before this was very stressful and I had a rundown immune response. I remember when, uh, when we met once and you were like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, and so um, through a lot of digging that I've had to do on myself, I've realized I've got, certain, you know, some, just some general chronic um, viral infections that just need to get rid of, basically. So I've been pulsing that on and off here. In nice. the, um, CoQ10, I think CoQ10 is just essential. I take vitamin E, 
I take um, high doses of fish oil and I tend to do fish oil sporadically, Robert. I know, I know a lot of people, there's a lot of theories on this, but I, I, I like, I like the, um, uh, the binge theory, you know, where you, you take a huge dose of them and then you wait three days and then you take another big dose. How big of a dose? And I'm taking like six grams. Okay. So, it, you know, a lot. I mean, I've got a whole mouthful of fish oil. I'm chewing it. Sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay. Yeah, I chew it. So, um, um, so that, that's kind of my eating regime. I, I've been adding a little bit of natto kinase in recently, um, which is kind of, yeah, and that's that's really because my, if you look down my um, uh, granddad's line, he died from a heart attack. There was some fibrinogen buildup in there. And I've just been noticing that my vascular function is is just not as good as it was. Um, so so working from things from that point of view, and and actually been increasing my exercise a little bit recently as well. But yes, yeah, so that's the that's, that's that's the cocktail, the Tollington cocktail. There. Nice. Okay, so that was that was a lot of supplements, all right? So anyone listening who's like, wow, that's a lot, but um, you're looking is, for yeah. you know optimizing your health, and so if you had to. Pick one supplement. You're on a desert island, and you can only take one. What would you pick, and why? Oh my gosh! And I'm on a desert island. So if I'm on a desert island. I'm exposed to a lot of sun. So I, I would normally pick vitamin D. You see, so so um um. That is a really tough question, Robert. Um, so there's probably fish. There's probably fish that you can catch. You're probably getting some omegas. There's probably coconuts, right? So you're going to get some, some healthy fats. The wild game. I don't know. I might, I might take the... Uh, I don't know. I might take the NAC with me. <laughs> yeah, nice. Interesting. I mean, I do, I do feel it as well. I don't what know do you feel? What do you feel with NAC? So um, when I'm taking NAC, I just feel less sluggish in my in my work and um, just my general life. I feel like a less less you know uh, less cramping that kind of stuff. But you know, like saying that saying that, I might take magnesium with me to the desert island. <laughs> yeah, um, that's my answer. I already know. The more, the more I think about it, because. You know, last time we spoke, and I forgot to put this in the regime, um, because we, you know, I worked out with the multivitamins I was taking. I said, what, 200 milligrams a day of, um, it's like a um, chelate form, so it's pretty highly absorbed. And split up into doses, and you said to me, and I remember this, and I remember, I forget it, you said, you're low on magnesium. And I said, no, I'm not. And, and you said, no, I think you're low on magnesium. And I said, all right. And you said well, why don't you try upping it a little bit? So I, I did. And so now I, I, and I forgot to add that into my regimen. I take so much stuff. Um, but I do take two magnesiums in the evening, which has actually helped a little bit with sleep as well, which is interesting, but quite makes sense with, you know, serotonin to melatonin conversion. But um, the leg cramping's gone, Robert. Really? Like, yeah. So every time I got out of the car, I'd have tight, stiff legs. Yes. Oh, it's all gone. So, 
So I think I'll probably take the magnesium, actually. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that, that's mine. <laughs> and I always, I always thought, oh, it'd be cool to take a CoQ10 or like, but yeah. uh, magnesium is so tried and true. And I just noticed for myself, and yeah, not to get hip in here, but uh, yeah, you had a lot of tension, musculoskeletal tension. And yeah. that's why I was, you know, just based on the, on your descriptions, it's like, hey, you, magnesium looks pretty low in you. I think the RDA for a lot of people, well, a lot of people are deficient in magnesium anyways. And some people don't, aren't, aren't getting magnesium. And we know there's a lot of things that compete with magnesium, alcohol, caffeine, mm-hmm. poor sleep depletes magnesium. Golly, I love magnesium. You know, I, when I take it in the morning, right. I noticed, I notice when I don't take it, you know, more than when I do take it. Because when I take it, I'm like, okay, I feel good. This I'm, I'm supposed to feel. When I don't take it, that's when I start feeling tight. My shoulders start feeling tension from being in the car. I start noticing cramping in my workouts, you know, and it's just, um, I never don't want to, I don't want to feel like that. So I always take magnesium first thing in the morning. I have all my vitamins in the pantry, but I have my magnesium is the only supplement I have in my bathroom because that's when I do not want to forget to take that day. Yep. Yep. So get your magnesium people and the form does matter. (laughs) If you're taking a magnesium citrate, that's a great product if you need to go to the restroom. But if you're looking for more <laughs> muscle relieving effects, right, you need to take a magnesium malate or magnesium chelate, or the one I take actually has kind of a blend of both, which I really enjoy. So, yeah. Yep. All right. So I know I'll put you on the spot a little bit, and I'm just going to, this one yeah. last question I'm going to ask you is just as a general concept, if you had, um, if you wanted your message to live on or your legacy to live on, if you will, and you can have a billboard, what kind of health, what kind of health, what phrase would you put on a billboard to ensure health for the people after you? What would you want people to know? Um, I would probably, I would probably address sleep in that. And I would say sleep more, live longer. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Sleep is because so important. Yep. Sleep is just it's we are chronically deprived as as a society of sleep. And I think it's the one thing that we can all work on is sleep. Um I really do. Because even if you think you have enough, you're probably not getting enough. <laughs> I, I'm constantly working on my own sleep. Constantly, every yeah. single day. Right. Hard. Right. Awesome. Everything. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Alex. I know you're kind of off the grid, but um, if anyone's cool, looking man. to like find you, typically uh, they, I would say like Facebook uh-huh. or like, social media. You're not on social media, so I, um, I, I am, but I'm I'm not very good at responding to social media. I'm a little bit. I, I got to say, Robert, I'm a little bit old school, um, and I I kind of stay a little bit off the grid a little bit, and and that's that's just kind of how I do things, but. Um, but you can reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Facebook. Absolutely. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I am on there and I do actually check to LinkedIn a little more. (laughs) Um, I don't know why it just pops up on my phone. Maybe I've got the settings wrong. (laughs) Um, (laughs) awesome. All right. I really appreciate you coming on brother. Yeah, absolutely. Great to see you again. Awesome, man. Well, have have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye.
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, this is for informational purposes only. If you have an injury or are looking for advice on a certain particular subject, always consult your healthcare provider. We are only providing information in this podcast and video series only. Again, thank you so much for joining us. If you could subscribe, leave a comment on iTunes, it would really help us out. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Have a great day.